out the corner of my eye, I saw a pretty little thing approaching me. She said, I never seen a man who looks so all alone. Or could you use a little company? If you pay the right price, your evening will be nice and you can go with Scott Hall Knights Nation, what's going on? I'm Alice Carbonati of WRSU. Rutgers men's lacrosse number four in the country, coming off a Big Ten victory against Ohio State, 18-7 to kick off in conference uh, play. This past Sunday, the Scarlet Knights played host to the Buckeyes and demolished them 18-7 at SHI Stadium. Joining me to talk about the first win and previewing their next matchup this Sunday against John Hopkins is Nick Tereski of the Rutgers men's lacrosse team and attacker for Rutgers men's lacrosse. Nick, how are you? I'm doing good. Happy to be here. Well, Nick, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, really, really appreciate you coming on the crew tonight. Hour two as we kick off with you. And overall, this team right now, again, this team's on fire right now. N- num- n- number four in the country. Only one loss this year. You're 9-1 overall, and you just opened up Big Ten play with a victory against Ohio State, beating them 18-7 to on your home ground. Walk me through the the last game specifically. How are you able to show off your you know you know your poise, your skill, your dominance in this eighteen to seven win over Ohio State, a game where you had a goal? Take me through what happened in this game and how Rutgers was able to start Big Ten play with a big, massive uh, win. Yeah, I mean, I think we all knew how important this first one was getting a win to start off Big Ten play, and we had a game plan all week and really just hammered that out and stuck stuck to it. Um, we got off to a slow start in the first quarter, but I think everything started clicking as time went, uh, went on. And I thought just all together, it was just a put-together win, great. Um, offensively, defensively, the goalie play, face-offs, the rope unit, I think everyone was in sync as we started getting going. And as the um, game went through, I mean, it was just like a well, uh, well-oiled machine out there. For sure, indeed. And you, you, you're having a great start to the year. As a sophomore, five goals, nine total points. You've scored three goals uh, in the last four games altogether. Take me through your recent success and how you've been able to build it up thus far. Uh, yeah, I mean, I kind of just trust in the process. I came in last year as a freshman on uh, a very older team in college lacrosse. So, I mean, I, it was great to just learn from all those older guys. And the COVID year, the one thing it did bring me was it, like an opportunity to play with some of those older uh, successful uh, former college cross players like Connor Kirst and Kieran Mullins, Adam Trillin-Beatties. So I kind of just learning off them as a freshman, just very young. Um, I think it carried into this year, and I think I was ready to take that next step as um, fall ball went on and we uh, got to like spring play. Absolutely. And again, you mentioned those three household names for years here on the banks for Rutgers lacrosse, Adam Charlambides, Connor Kirsch, Kieran Mullins. Those three guys were pivotal players for the Scholar Knights for several years here when it comes to Rutgers men's lacrosse. Talk to me about how their influence really played a role and how you're starting this year and how you really played so well this past Sunday against a Big Ten team like the Buckeyes. Yeah, I mean, they just – they, they've been, like, around, and they, they kind of just have seen it all. They played in the big games. So, kind of just coming out of high school without even playing my senior year, I really didn't know what to expect when I got to this level. So it was great, and they were all just great mentors to me. They took me under the wing, and then it carried into this year. Once again, we have a very um, experienced team brought in, uh, like, Mitch Bartolo, who's been playing for a while. Ronan won a uh, Division three championship. And just like all those transfers, again, were very, very older experience. So I kind of just carried that, uh, kept that going. 
um, listened, learned all throughout the fall, and then kind of just was ready to take that step. And I think just kind of letting everything come to me, um, especially these last couple of games, like taking what they're giving me, not forcing it, and kind of just playing within the offense. And I think that's been working out pretty well. Absolutely. And again, you are a sophomore. It's your second year here on the Banks uh, for Rutgers men's lacrosse. When you talk about, again, you know, this sophomore class specifically, you, Shane Knobloch, folks of that nature, especially in this class, you learn from guys like Charlotte Beatties, like Curse, like Mullet. Now you're playing with Mitch Bartolo, uh, Ronan Jacoby, a guy older like Ross Scott, a guy older like Jared Jean Felix, another guy who is an older player like Bobby Russo. So not just the three players we talked about already who have been household names, but those players now, not just Bartolo, Jacoby, but me, really, you know, Shane Knobloch, your sophomore teammate, but also even guys like Jared Jean Felix and Bobby Russo. When it comes to the chemistry of this team, how do you listen from them? How does this team put all the pieces together, really, to form the uh, the the nine and one start we're seeing, the number four team in the country? And again, you know, the way you started versus Big Ten play against Ohio State, you were down, but you came right back out. When it comes to putting all the pieces together, what makes this team so lethal offensively, defensively, even goalkeeping wise with uh, Colin Kirst as your as your starting goalkeeper? How did that show in uh, the uh, the Big Ten aspect this past uh, you know Sunday? How was that really a preview of what we can see the rest of the way, especially this upcoming Sunday versus John Hopkins? Yeah, I think it's just um, we like being an older group um understand just it's 60 minutes 60 minute game so don't like can't really get caught up on that first five ten minutes of the game there's going to be a lot more to come and i think that experience our captains do a great job of just keeping everyone calm relaxed focused and it's kind of just the next play out there and i think they do it's a great team mentality that this is this is going to be a long game 60 minutes so we came out a little slow but we knew we had another three quarters to go and that's plenty of time to get things going. Absolutely. And your big test will be Maryland in two weeks time at College Park. Maryland's always had your number for Rutgers for a long time. They're currently number one in the country. They've always been the powerhouse with a top dog in Big Ten play. With the way you're starting this year, how could you specifically start early, but keep your composure throughout those 60 minutes of play against a powerful team like the Terrapins? Yeah, I mean, they're just, they earn their respect throughout these past years um but that's kind of just the same thing how we we have to attack attack the game just knowing that every single possession is important and they're going to uh play the exact same way i can guarantee that i mean if we go up um they're going to be coming right back so we really can't take our foot off the gas um because they're going to be very very strong give us everything they got out there for sure indeed and I got to ask this question. I'm from Long Island. You're from Long Island. You're from Wontaw. I'm from Massapequa, so we're, we're pretty close, like 10, 15 minutes. How does your Long Island grit uh, really throw into this season and how you've been starting uh, thus far? Uh, I mean, it, it means a lot coming from Long Island, especially played a couple games there already, so it's awesome just getting back there and just playing all these teams that I was, like, quick, uh, easy ride away from just to go watch when I was younger. So it's awesome. I mean, it means a lot to me going back there. And, yeah, the Long Island grit. I mean, it's funny now that I'm just playing in Jersey, so I got all these Jersey teammates, and I think that's a big uh, big thing, Long Island versus New Jersey lacrosse. Obviously, I'm going to back Long Island. I think that's just the hotbed of lacrosse when it comes to coming out of high school. And, of course, my New Jersey uh, teammates will argue that. And what makes it good, though? I mean, coming uh, from high school, Wontaw, I think it's a very uh, – 
gritty school. You got to work for like what you got and um, earn it all. And I don't know. I just really uh, feel like I wear that on just where, how I walk around and everything, just Long Island and Walthall. I think it's just a great place to come from. Absolutely. Oh, it sure is. I'll give you that 1000%. And, you know, we, we, we talk about the Long Island capital of, you know, lacrosse right there. Lacrosse is the long, uh, you know, basically founded and grown in Long Island and many top players, especially in D1 play like yourself, go to these D1 schools from Long Island, whether it's Wontaw, Massapequa, my school, wherever, uh, wherever it is, but Long Island, the Jersey, you know, aspect, even, you know, uh, players like Ross Scott, who's from Oregon, the West coast, you have players from all across the country. Some even who aren't even, you know, uh, you know, weren't born in America. You have foreign uh, players as well. When it comes to your backgrounds, your cultures and things like that, how, how, how does all of those aspects also put them together to what this team has become this year early? Yeah, it's, it's a great mix. You see a guy like Ross Scott, who's having like the uh, success he is and just coming from Oregon, just all the way on, out on the West Coast. Mm-hmm. And then it's just it's great to see like lacrosse expanding, how, like how those states out there, like it's more of an East Coast sport. But then you see guys like that. You see David Sprock down from Texas. Just great to see. I think it's a great mix and mesh and um, just bringing like all these kind of states together. It just it makes like a team like, like very successful. Absolutely. Last question for you, Nick. You've got five goals on the year. You have nine points all together. This Rutgers team is hot right now. Nine and one, number four in the country. How can you keep it going? How can you prove to be the the Rutgers team you're really trying to be this year? Overcome Maryland, or, or, overcome some Big Ten uh, obstacles with what we've been seeing thus far with this team. You have success. You've got success from the offense, the defense, of the goalkeeping, the coaching staff, all across the board. This is a unique team that is strongly, strongly built, and it's being seen very early this year what is going to be the game plan to keep that going the entire season long yeah just trust the game plan trust the coaching staff trust the teammates and just really everything we do do it 100 every single practice and i think we've been doing that uh, good to go absolutely nick tereski of Rutgers men's lacrosse and attacker for the team joining me here on the crew for a few minutes nick, thanks so much i really appreciate it yeah thank you thanks for having me you got it that was Nick Tereski. Thank you to Alex Carminati for doing that interview. When we come back, we got Dylan Allen here for hour two. Are we going to talk some baseball? Also, want to talk about Caleb McConnell entering the NBA draft, the newest Rutgers Scarlet Knight to throw his name in the draft portal. But you're listening to the WRSU Tuesday Crew on 88.7 WRSU FM New Brunswick and online at WRSU.org. Back to the Tuesday crew. We got Dylan Allen, DAs here, along with me, Eddie Kalegi, Ellis Gordon, and Brett Hahn. Uh, already talked a lot about the NBA, so let's shift topics a little bit. Uh, Rutgers men's basketball. Of course, we had already heard that Ron Harper Jr. had declared for the draft, Jalen Jones as well, and now we have a third. Caleb McConnell announcing yesterday the reigning Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year, that he is entering the draft portal, but will maintain his eligibility. So remember, Ron Harper Jr. did a similar thing last year, initially entered the draft portal, then there's a deadline where you can switch out and decide to return to your school, depending on you know how workouts go and where your draft prospects are looking. Uh, so there's still the potential for Caleb McConnell to come back, but he's thrown his name in the hat for the NBA draft, the third Rutgers player to do so, obviously expecting a potential announcement from Geo Baker in the near future future as well to join that list as well so Dylan uh you're here uh maybe your your impressions from this decision Kayla McConnell entering the draft and do you think there's any possibility that he's maybe back in Piscataway next year 
I think there's a big chance. The fact that he left open his eligibility tells me that, you know, him and his camp are kind of looking at it as, yeah, you know, we won the Big Ten tournament, or <laughs> which we did. Um, he won the Defensive Player of the Year for the Big Ten, that is. Um you know, but doesn't have much of an offensive game. And I think if you're being realistic, if you're McConnell, you have to realize that and not ride into the NBA draft thinking that just because you won Defensive Player of the Year, you're going to get drafted and you're going to get a, you're going to get a spot somewhere. Um, and I think that's what he's overall thinking. And not only putting his name in just for the draft, it's also hearing buzz about his name around the league. Maybe you know, getting to talk to some coaches, some GMs regarding you know what they think he could work on to then be better for next year's draft. I think there's a chance. I think I think he does what Harper Jr. did last year. I think he comes back to Rutgers. I, I really do, and I think in his hopes are to develop his offensive game. I mean, we saw it in the Notre Dame game what he can do when he's firing on all cylinders, and you hope if you're Caleb McConnell, you can build off that for next year. With Pykele, be the main leader on the team. You won't have to compete with Harper Jr. and Baker, right? You'll be the most tenured player, along with uh, Mulcahy and we. And Amori just said he was coming back for his junior year as well. So, you know, there's a lot going there for Rutgers and Caleb McConnell. I think if he comes back, could ultimately be one of the top three offensive um, outlets for the team. I think it's in his best interest to come back. I think he will. Yeah, I talked about this with Giddy last week, and it's kind of like a high-risk, high-reward situation for McConnell because obviously there's openings when he comes back because Rutgers is going to need people to score and with Geo Baker and Ron Harper Jr. gone, and McConnell's going to have b- big shoes to fill, and we saw what he did in that Notre Dame game, but that was also one game, and that was one out of you know 30 in the season, and we saw he did improve offensively, but early in the year he really struggled. He was never really a major offensive threat, but then again, the Scarlet Knights had Geo Baker and Ron Harper Jr. scoring the ball. At the same time, defensively, this is a great opportunity for him to improve himself as a player and maybe increase his draft prospects, but at the same time, what if he does take that step back and he's not the same defensive force? So it's a tough call for him, but I'm kind of with Dylan. I'll go to Ellis here. I mean, I I think we are going to see Caleb McConnell returning to Jersey Mike's Arena next year. Uh, I'm 50-50 for that reason on the defense. Like, if you look at Caleb, I think you all the good point you guys made good points about like him coming back, but like just now playing a little devil's advocate, the chances I think I don't think his defense will take a step back, but the chance of him putting up another Big Ten defensive player of the season year is he must know it's like it's hard to come by. I mean, it's really hard to do, especially twice in a row. That'd be incredible. Um, so he knows this might be the highest he can ever get, especially and. He might want to just try it in, like, he's not going to get probably drafted, but he might just want to try it in the G League. Um, that's how I totally guys also get your arguments. That's why I think it's pretty 50-50. I'm also looking at what will Jaden Jones do, because he also signed with a um with an agent where he can come back, and that's a big one for Rutgers, because, you know, I, I know he didn't get a lot of playing time this this year, but that's because he, he didn't, Rutgers didn't need scoring, and they needed defense, and he was the worst defender on the court for the Scarlet Knights last year. But if Pico can work on his defense, if he comes back, that's a big if. But if he comes back, he might be potentially a better scorer than than Ron Harper Jr. and Joe Baker. That's how much I believe in this guy. Um, in Jane you, Jones or McConnell? Jane Jones. Jane Jones. I'm talking okay. about Jane Jones right now. If you look at his frame, he's a very Kevin Durant like frame. And there's thir- J- um, excuse me, Ron Harper Jr. and Joe Baker combined for 37 of the Scarlet Knights points. Obviously, if Caleb McConnell comes back, he's going to eat up some of that, but he's not going to eat all of that. Um. Jane Jones is a big get offensively. Rutgers needs. 
Um, otherwise, if they don't get Jane Jones, they're going to need to find an offensive spark plug in the transfer portal, which, again, nowadays is, you know, there's a lot there's a lot in the transfer portal. It's like so. free agency. Yeah, it is like free agency. So, so I'm not saying they can't, but an interesting, um, just in the Rutgers in general, just to go a little off topic, if you look at their inventory, they got two... They got two big men in Reber and Amori. I would like them to see them add another one so Reber can play more of the four. Um, if if Reber can develop some game where like off ball game and like um when he has the ball dribbling instead of just spot up shooting, I like to see Reber play the four a little bit. That means Rutgers is gonna have to get another big man. That Neil Quinn is in the market. Um, yep, and he can pass, which is huge for big men. Um, now you look at their guards. Let's just say for the for this case, Caleb McConnell comes back. That is huge, not even just for scoring, for ball handling. Because right now, Paul Mulcahy is the only ball handler. Derek Simpson's coming in. I'm high on Derek Simpson. The issue is, is he's still a freshman in the Big Ten. Do you want a freshman taking a primary load in ball handling? I'm not so confident on that one. So I'm happy if Derek Simpson's the third ball handler and Caleb McConnell comes back and he's the second ball handler. And then you got your forwards that aren't your centers, right? You got Mawat Mag, who I think is going to play a bigger role in this team, but I'm not sure if he's starter caliber yet. Oh, and also the guards, Jalen Miller, who I don't think he's going to start, but he's a defensive specialist. Mawat Mag, who's who's going to play a bigger role? I think I think he's I think he has potential, but not yet. I don't think he's a starter yet. Jane Jones, maybe Rutgers really needs to. If Jane Jones leaves, Rutgers really needs a three point shooter because Ron Harper Jr. was shooting 39.8 percent from three last season, which is is incredible. Um. Sam Sessons is a name. Sessons, I've heard is a name. He shot 42% from three this year. His career, he hasn't been a great three-point shooter, but maybe Peichel's like, let's ride the hot wave. Um, So, yeah, I think the 3 and D, Peichel's looking for a 3 and D, three and D 2, um, which he won't, he'll, the burden will be less if, um, excuse me, the burden will be less if McConnell comes back, a score, and a backup center to lighten the load for Morian Reber. So you're split with 50-50 on McConnell coming back, though? Yes. Okay. I just kind of. Delved off topic, but McConnell fifty fifty because I could see his camp saying we're never gonna have a better defensive season accolades wise than that, and just ride the hot wave and play the G League maybe or even just go overseas. Yeah, and this was also a year not not knocking Caleb McConnell at all, but for wing it was kind of a down year for wing players in the Big Ten. There weren't many star shooting guards and small forwards across the conference. The best players for the most part, there were some solid point guards and then of course some big men like Kofi Coburn and Hunter Dickinson that really stole the show. Kayla McConnell Next year, you're going to have guys that are more developed. There's going to be some bigger challenges for McConnell. So I don't know if he'd necessarily want to come back and risk that, but at the same time, and also just the way he's been talking and the way he's been with Geo Baker and Ron Harper Jr., and just how he saw senior day play out, of course things can change. But I don't know. Uh, Brett, I kind of want to get your opinion on this too. Yeah, I mean, on on one hand, I while I was listening to you guys, the defensive impact is there. That's why he's declaring for the draft right away. I, I mean, he want based off the tape and and what we've seen out of him, he's known as a lockdown defender, and, and that's something that NBA teams cannot get enough of. Do I think he'll get drafted if he goes? See, that's hard to tell. He's great on defense, but the man only shot thirty nine point seven percent from the field, twenty seven percent from three, and, and a lot of times during these games, you would see defenders leave him completely wide open, limiting the Rutgers floor spacing. I'm not saying McConnell can't get to the league. I, I I just think he needs to up those percentages, shooting percentages, just a notch to at least show that he has potential for growth in the offensive facet of the game to make up, or, or to, I'm sorry, to complement his already elite defensive prowess. And 
you know, if he were to go right now, I I think he'd he'd either be a second round pick or go on draft, and he'd have to show show out in the summer league or potentially just sit down in the G League for a while. And do I think that's something that's in his best interest? I don't really know how he thinks, but 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 I think like returning for a year, giving it one last go to improve your draft stock would be the better move. I mean, yeah, I, I find it hard to believe any NBA teams will consider him seriously when he's shooting thirty nine percent from the field on his. Rutgers career and only 28% from three. Those are not, I mean, I know the game against Notre Dame was incredible. It came out of nowhere, but those are not great numbers. He's averaging six points, but I don't know. I, we've seen four years of Caleb McConnell. Can he take the offensive step up? I love Caleb McConnell. I think he's a great player. He's a, I want him to be back. I'm just not sold he can take the offensive step up. He was really good his first year, and there, and he was, but that was with fit playing 15 minutes a game. Um, I just I'm not sold on the whole Caleb McConnell is uh is going to be that is going to take the next step up. I think I I think I think you're looking at it either way. I think you're looking at first of all either way. I think you're looking at a career of overseas with Caleb McConnell, a good career because he's a defensive specialist. But you you ain't making the NBA or G League shooting 38 percent from the field. Yeah, and I think the other thing too is, you know, like most athletes, you have to be honest with yourself, uh, especially when it comes to your game. If you're Caleb McConnell and you say to yourself, listen. You know, maybe, and, and we don't know this as fans and students, but like, let's say he's like, he goes to himself, listen, guys, I worked as best as I could towards my three point shot. I put the most work towards that this offseason, and I only got 28% out of it. You got to think to yourself and say, okay, maybe I can't fix these parts of my game, but I don't want to risk the defensive part that's really, really good. I don't want to put that in jeopardy. So maybe he looks at it and goes, yes, is there a potential I can come back next year and play better offensively? Sure. But again, I, I think it's important that if he's honest with himself and he firmly believes that there's not much room for improvement, then I think he should go. Because it's very hard to duplicate you know, that defensive season that he had. The upside would be to win another defense, a defensive player of the year for the Big Ten. But then, what happens if he gets exposed? What happens if he gets hurt? Right now, it's now that whole defensive player of the year last year goes down the drain if he gets hurt. You put that at risk as well. Injuries are so random that you never know. Right, and so if you look at it that way, and you're McConnell, you're honest with yourself, and you're saying, "Can I really shoot better from three? I'm not sure. And if that's his reaction, I think he should go to the draft because. Right now, you don't want to put anything up in the air, especially with the NBA, and especially for a guy who will probably be either one of the, like the last picks of the draft or undrafted. He's not going to be a first. Like the fact that we have to question if Ron Harper Jr. is going to get drafted tells me that Caleb's not going to get drafted. Yeah, right. So Caleb's not. There's so, no way. So if you if you're thinking it like that, I think it's in his best interest to go forward with that year because there, you'd be putting so much on the line, and it's not like you're coming back to a team with Harper and Geo to make a deep postseason run. Right now, now you're in the stages where, as a Rutgers fan, you look at the team and go, okay, now all of our you know. Leadership guys are gone. Mulcahy is going to run this team. Let's see what he let's see what he has, and you're going to see Amori again. But there's so many question marks. I I mean, Ellis went on a five minute you know tangent about all these different players and transfer portal that we could be looking at, and you know how the team's going to look next year. A lot of question marks. I think it's in his best interest if he just goes to the draft, especially if he doesn't think he can improve his offensive game. Yeah, and you know we might as well transition to what Ellis brought up because there are a lot of needs that this Rutgers team is going to have. So Cliff Amore definitely coming back. Paul Mulcahy is going to take on a huge role in this team as a senior. But, of course, we know Mulcahy does not have the best shot. There are games where he plays very well, especially the Northwestern game. But 
he shooting from the field while he did improve as the season went on last year there are still games where he really struggles so but I I know the stats will say I had the best shot but he looks I don't know he looks because because remember his sophomore season which was the season they won the big um that uh, which was two years ago um he shot the team high thirty nine percent from three I know he shot and he really only shot I think well but how many right did he end up shooting well well this is what I'm about to tell you it yeah. wasn't that I'll tell you right now but I remember looking at him being like I was surprised how he only shot he shot only eighteen more threes this year which is significant but it's not like crazy amount um he looked hesitant this year to take shots for whatever reason um uh, I'm not quite sure why that is. Um, but it is. Um, I think there's potential for Mulcahy to take a shot. Where I need Mulcahy to take to be a good shooter. Where I need Mulcahy to, to change is defensively he cannot guard quicker guards. Blake Wesley. Uh, Blake Wesley. He Wesley. got burnt all night. Wesley. I, I saw I don't him first know his first name. every yeah. single time. Anyone on Notre Dame, not just not just Wesley. Anytime anyone drove, it looked like Mulcahy was second guessing himself. Overthinking it, trying not to give up an open three, and so he would be late every single time on a drive. His footwork, defensive footwork on the perimeter, is leaves a lot to be desired. Yes, put it this way. Um, but I, I still, I, as an offensive threat, I still have faith in this team. I think this team will be competitive, regardless of. I think they'll get some transfer portal guys. I think this team will be competitive. But I mean, yeah, I mean, Dylan said it best. Just to be realistic, I don't think this team is making March Madness. Yeah, I mean, that's why I'm saying, you know, if you're McConnell, you got to look at it that way. And if I were in McConnell's shoes, the only way I would come back is if there was a serious chance at making a another tournament run, you know, get on all those primetime Big Ten games, you know, this and that, make maybe be a five or four seed in the tournament, in the Big Ten tournament. You know, if this would be a totally different conversation if McConnell didn't win Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year. For sure. But because he won that, I think he'd, he'd be putting too much at risk. Yeah, it's, it's really tough for Rutgers because... There's some things we don't know how much Paul Mulcahy can fill. Now, the hesitance that Ellis talked about that we saw with Paul Mulcahy shooting, I think you can attribute a lot of that to the beginning of the season where both Mulcahy and Caleb McConnell really couldn't hit anything in those games against yeah. the mid-major opponents where Rutgers was struggling. And, I mean, there were some fans booing them as well. And, I mean, we saw McConnell then take more of a defensive focus, and obviously it worked for him. For Mulcahy, he became more of a passer. We saw him lead the Big Ten in assists for most of the season. So if he can get back to what he was doing two years ago, that would be great. But uh, whatever role he fills, it's going to be more significant than this past year. Uh, I'm curious to see if they try to go after – I know he's from another Big Ten school, but Andre Curbelo just entered the transfer portal yesterday – I don't know exactly how he'd fit in with this group because then, you know, he, he plays the one and the two. I, going after him. I do see him going after uh, to Toussaint off of Iowa, a yeah. hard-nosed defensive guard who can distribute. I think I can see them going after him, but I don't think they go after Curbelo. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'd l I think Curbelo could be a decent fit with the team. He averaged 11 points, three assists this year in Illinois. Uh, the fans were going after him at the Illinois game. I, I remember mean, everybody was chanting Walmart Lonzo at him when the, he was going to the sidelines. He's, he's the ultimate wild card in NBA. Yeah. Exciting to watch. He'll give you he'll give you five highlight passes and three highlight buckets and also ten turnovers in a game. But that, that doesn't seem like Peichel's kind of player. And yeah. is Personally. it in Rucker's best interest to even yeah. go after a guy like him? I, I mean. Last year he shot in his in his best year where he shot fifty percent from the floor, 
16% from three. And we mentioned three-pointing, three-point shooting is going to be the big hole in this team. Yes, getting Corbello a ball handler, he can sh- give you, you know, I don't think he'll shoot 50%. I mean, he shot 33% this year. Let's call it 40%. We'll go right in the middle. You know, I, but he can't really shoot threes that effectively. And I think with Mulcahy, we already have a guy that can give you ball handling and effective field goal percentage down low and can pass. Plus, he can rebound. I think he's way bigger than Curbelo. He's got oh, five sure. more inches on him, about 20 more pounds. So I, I think I think it's in the best interest for Rutgers to go out and get a Sam Sessoms from Penn State, somebody who can shoot. Uh, even Neil Quinn, I know he can kind of shoot, right? And, and but he's a good, he's seven footer. That'll give you fourteen, and uh, he got fourteen point seven rebounds last year on Lafayette, you know, the team we lost to in the very beginning of the year. Um, I, it's guys like that that I think we really need to look at. Because Ellis, you're right. I think if we're able to get Dean Reber in a four spot where he's not playing or even guarding the center, because we saw last year whenever Cliff went out and Dean Reber had to come on the floor, when he, whenever he had to guard a big time center in the Big Ten, he struggled defensively. So I think if you can get a guy like Neil Quinn, seven feet tall, put him on Kofi, a guy like Kofi Coburn, even though Coburn will probably be gone, Mm -hmm. but somebody like that, then you can have Reber in the corner ready for a three-pointer, you know, and it kind of opens up the floor a little bit more for for you offensively. I think that's that's where we need to focus, the three-point shooting. So as good as Corbello could be as as a primary ball handler, yeah, maybe he'll give you some flashy passes. The three-point shooting for me, it'd be totally different if we had a bunch of sharpshooters and we just needed a guy who could facilitate the floor. But right now, I think I think we just need the opposite. The other, no, I totally agree. The other thing I'm curious to see is the philosophy, because obviously there's going to be transfers that come. Where does Coach Peichel focus more in? Does he focus for established guys from top conferences, or does his philosophy go more with stars at mid-major level? We've seen the women's team, for example, brought in a lot of transfers. The vast majority were from smaller schools, like Leisha Petrie from Bradley, for example. Like They were going to players that starred and really balled out, but playing in like the Missouri Valley Conference and stuff. Does Rutgers try, does Steve Peichel try to attack talent maybe from the Big Ten, the ACC, the Big East, players that are in that transfer portal like Curbelo, or does he focus down there? And also, how far does he kind of spread? Does he look towards these other schools and kind of look, you know, across the country? We saw him go and get Andre Hyatt from LSU. Of course, Hyatt didn't really pan out as much as, you know, we would have hoped with the fact that he had 14 points in an NCAA tournament game the previous year and really didn't come anywhere near that this season. But, you know, does he focus closer in, you know, in the tri-state area, or does he really spread across the country? I mean, it's kind of interesting because this is the first time we've seen in six years with Coach Peichel where he's really had to really hone in and make this transfer portal and this transfer year meaningful. I think it depends. I mean, like Sam Sessons, right, Penn State, Big Ten team. But I think Neil Quinn, a guy like from Lafayette, I think you get him just because of his size, right? Oh, for sure. And, you know, he can get your rebounds and stuff. And I think it's a little bit different than the women's team because the women's team, they didn't have the Diamond Johnson or Arella Garante. So when they brought in all of these transfers, they kind of just did not mesh at all because they were all new faces. At least on this team, they still have Mulcahy, Omori, Reber. They still have a lot of pieces there and possibly even McConnell if he decides to come back. They have a lot of pieces that have played together and, you know, could be able to win games and be able to play basketball knowing each other's tendencies, and then you have maybe two or three new guys that just have to learn. With the women's team, it was like eight new girls had to learn yeah. everything. It was just totally, it was just a mess. And I'll tell you what, one other person that I like that I've been hearing some news about 
um, for Rutgers. Joseph Gerard III from Syracuse. He's, his hometown is from Glens Falls, New York. So he's local. Um, he's a 6'1", and he's a shooter. This year he averaged uh, 13.8, so 14 points a game, uh, four assists, and he gave and he shot 40, 39% from the floor, 40% from three, 88% free throw shooter. I think that this could be, if you're looking for a ball handler, if you think that's one of the big question marks, you're not sold on Mulcahy, I think Gerard could be a, a good answer in the transfer portal. He's very good at Syracuse, and I think he's looking to move on. And it's one of those local kids that you could potentially get in if you're Peichel. And, you know, if he's a team guy, I think this I think he fits perfectly with this program. Gerard, too, had a massive game in Syracuse's last game against Duke yeah. when Buddy Beheim was suspended. And he really t- took on that main role. He had, like, I think it was 18 points in the first half. He did. He had, like, Caleb McConnell NCAA tournament numbers. He was, <laughs> yeah. yeah he, he, and, I mean, that's against a Duke team that's now in the Final Four. So I can read you his stats if you want. Played all 40 minutes, 23 points, six rebounds, two assists, okay. um, had three fouls. Three turnovers. He had. He shot forty-one percent from the floor and thirty-six percent from three, eighty-three percent from the line. So, I mean, if and especially the free throw shooting stands out to me as well because we've had good shooters at Rutgers like Ron Harper Jr. At one point in the year, he was shooting like forty-five percent from three. It was ridiculous. But then you go look at the free throw percentage; it's like seventy-five, right? At least he can give you eighty-eight percent. I don't think I have. I couldn't even tell you the last time Rutgers had a player that was eighty-five <laughs> plus percent from the line. Please. As good as Geo Baker was, as good as Ron Harper Jr. was, they were not shooting. I think they were not shooting 80 plus percent. I think last year, Caleb McConnell shot barely over 80 percent. He was the best free throw shooter last mm-hmm. year. And this year, he shot like in the 60s. I don't know what happened with that. But just, I think if Rutgers can get somebody like that, it changes the whole dynamic of the way you play. Maybe you, you have Gerard drive in a lot more because he can cash in on those free throws. I think that'd be a huge acquisition. So we got about 20 minutes to go. When we come back, let's talk a little MLB. You're riding with the WRSU Tuesday crew, Eddie Kalegi, Ellis Gordon, Dylan Allen, and Brett Hahn on 88.7 WRSU-FM New Brunswick and streaming live at WRSU.org. It's 20 minutes on a Tuesday on the WRSU crew. Eddie Kalegi, Brett Hahn, Ellis Gordon, Dylan Allen joining us here for hour two. Let's talk a little MLB. First of all, Brett, I know I bullied you a little bit about choosing to do a lock with spring training involved. That's a bonus lock. A bonus it's, well, lock. it's paying off right now. Francisco Lindor's got another home run. Yeah, you know, the Mets are up 1-0 again. I I don't know why we were doubting the Mets. I mean, they're like that this year. <laughs> Ho- hopefully. I mean, God. I, I, I feel like I, you guys say that every year. I just want to see a championship. I, I've never seen a championship in my life. That's what I was talking about last for any last anything? week. Yeah, for any of my sports. Oh wow! I'm I'm a fan of really bad teams, Don. I know, I, I just <laughs> it's know, brutal. I, I, <laughs> I just knew you were Jets, Mets. I didn't know anything yeah. else. And were you, are you a Knicks fan too? No, nah, I'm a Houston Rockets for basketball. Oh, okay. So we just missed some of those years, and then um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, a couple I, of heartbreakers too. Yeah, that. no, no, like like I I still don't know why the Rockets traded Capella to this day. Well, you got like, Sangoon now, but. Yeah, I, I mean, Ty, I mean, Albert and Sangoon, Shangoon is awesome, but like, we could have we could have kept Capella if James Harden just you know put his ego aside and Chris Paul stayed. And that, like, <laughs> I mean, we could be talking about one time champion right now, Chris Paul. But I mean, I don't know. He's almost a champion. He's almost there. But almost. but going back, you know, but going back to MLB, you know, the Mets are up one zero. You know, they have an interesting situation ahead. Starling Marte, who's never played right field in his career, <laughs> is set to be the opening day right fielder. It's looking like right now. And and, and I mean, he he played well there the other day. It's just he 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 said himself, it's an adjustment like uh, getting the angles right for like righty and lefty batters when they're hitting out there. 
Right. And he he prefers to play center. Now we have a guy, or the Mets have a guy, Brandon Nimmo, who can also slide over to right if need be and allows Marte to maintain his center field position. And that's your center fielder right now? Brandon Nimmo Brandon is Nimmo. the starting center fielder. Yeah. And then you got Marcano on left and the starting Marte at right. Any reason right why they didn't put Marte in center? I don't uh, really he, understand. Now, there's a lot of things with Starling Marte. First of all, he's not cleared to swing a bat right now because he has oblique. He played though. He's been playing. He went one of two the other day. Yeah, so, so, he swung, so he swung yeah. now, but the, for the first week or so, he wasn't allowed <laughs> to swing a bat. You know, it's already starting. I, I swear, no other sport, no other team do you hear so many people having sore obliques. But with the Mets, happened yeah. to Guillaume like last year, happened to so McNeil many injuries. last year. Mets yeah. are cursed. But <laughs> that's why I know how, how how solid this roster is this season, you know, uh, on paper. But I'm, I'm holding myself back from getting so hyped up, especially because, one, I know the Braves are still going to be really good. And, two, I know that these are the New York Mets. So right. I'm excited, but I'm, I'm trying to, like – pace myself um also i'm really annoyed i don't have apple tv and max scherzer's first start as a net is one of these apple tv exclusive games i'll send, oh, you, I'll send, you, I'll send no. you a link yeah i'll send you a link yeah don't okay. don't, don't. I'll you have to send me the links i'll send you both thank, thank you. not to apple tv but i'll send you guys links <laughs> no, that sounds good you guys are chilling <laughs> i didn't know that I, I didn't know that that that's a sin mm-hmm. that's a sin Ma- yeah. max scherzer's start is highly anticipated Especially since him and DeGrom both pitch in the same spring training game. And that was absolutely Oh, that electric. was awesome. That was electric. No, the funniest thing was DeGrom was mad at himself when he struck out the side because he gave up a base hit in the inning. He gave up a single, but he struck out the other three batters. And then he was just shaking his head, walking He's off so the mound. He's so good, man. Yeah. Let's see if he's healthy, baseball. though. I know. I hope yeah. he does. I mean, he looks really good. And his his fastball's right back up 99, 100 miles an hour. So he seems okay right now. <laughs> the Mets curse. I mean, I'm a Yankees fan, but the Mets curse, I'm not betting against it. Yeah. <laughs> until I see it in my eyes. The MLB expert too are saying that Scherzer has been recommending uh, DeGrom to throw his curveball more. Something he only threw like about 3.5% of the time last year. He's already thrown five pitches last game and he's working seems like he's working on in spring training. So if he can add that curveball to his already like high 90s, low 100s at time fastball and the slider and he, he's going to be even more deadlier than he already is. Which is good yeah, too exactly. because <laughs> as much as we love seeing him blow people away with 101 mile an hour fastballs you know you can only throw so many of those and with someone who's now had elbow issues each of the last two years right. it might be better to see him kind of switch to an off speed pitch a little more so as much as I love seeing him bring out the high heat but I mean looking at the Mets this year I'm very confident about the front end of the rotation. I think Chris Bassett's a good add. I think Taiwan Walker has potential. I don't know what happened in the second half of last season. Carlos Carrasco, I don't really know if he really has anything left in the tank, but we do have Tyler McGill, so the Mets could potentially slide him in as you know the fifth starter. Offensively, we're stuck with Robinson Cano again because <laughs> he's off his PED suspension, so now he's going to be the designated hitter. Right. So Can't wait for that one. The thing is, no. he's probably going to find himself on PEDs again, and he'll be hitting 340 again. So that's just—I mean, as long as they don't catch him, that's fantastic. I'm all for it. As a Yankee, oh, wait, no. as, as a Yankee fan, I can't wait to see that swing back in action. Even though he might not get as much contact as he once did, it's just—it's it's such a sweet swing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's—that's that's interesting. Robinson back in the day. That yeah, was, that was like. You know, I know they didn't really win much, but that was like my favorite Yankee team. Like Granderson, Cano, I Teixeira. Like I, I that's what I grew up with watching. Yeah. Like yeah, Granderson, I love Granderson too. I know he was a Matt as well. I think the Mets finish first or second in their division this year. I I don't think the Phillies are a threat. They don't have the pitching outside of Nola and Wheeler. Wheeler is really the number one there. From if you're being honest with yourselves, and their bullpen, I couldn't even name you one guy in there that's that's decent. 
So I, I think the Mets finish at worst second in the NL East. And the difference being, this year the NL East should be better. Because I remember last year it was like the Braves won it and they had like 91 wins. You know, they had low a, a low win total for a, winning, a team winning their division. I think this year you could potentially see... Uh, you know, they, both teams have high 90s. One of them maybe low 100s in terms of the win total. It could it could be like the Red Sox Yankees in 2018. Red Sox had like 108 wins, and the Yankees had 103. You could see like what happened last year with the Dodgers and Giants. I think it's it has that capability. But I think the Mets. I don't think they'll disappoint you this year. I know as Mets fans, so. you've been <laughs> trained to get hyped and then like conserve the hype because you're just you know you're gonna get heartbroken in the end. I think this is the year, though, where you legitimately have a chance, if all goes well. Because even if, like, a guy like DeGrom gets hurt, like he did last year, now you have Scherzer there still. Like, you, you have you have enough pieces to fill in in case anything like that happens. Because there will be injuries. There always is for any team. As long as you have the depth to help out with that, that should buy you enough time. I, I think you guys will be fine. There's injuries for every team, but Dylan, yes. when you look at the history of the Mets, the first look thing, at the Yankees. Okay, but the first thing, all right, but they have the 28 Mets, World Series, and the, 27. The Mets Chase in, 28. The Mets uh, injuries. Been like same difference. 12 years. The first one I remember was probably when I was like seven or eight, the year that Luis Castillo fractured his ankle falling down the stairs because he tripped. Oh, I remember on a that one helmet. all too well. Yeah, <laughs> Jerry Blevins slipping on the curb. Yeah, and, falling and on the curb. Having to get Tommy John. Yo, and Cespedes. That was ridiculous. Yo, and Cespedes with his injuries because he got chased by a wild boar and. Yeah. Who was the guy that on the trampoline? Fine. Who was that? Oh, that's right. That's right. Oh, I don't remember. Which, I think it was another pitcher. Yeah, it was one of the relievers. Was oh, it Jabba was, Chamberlain? No, 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 no. no, no, no. It was one of the pitchers. Big Jabba Chamberlain Big Jabba Chamberlain guy. Jabba Chamberlain no. guy. It, it, it was Dylan a reliever. Is on the Mets? Let me, let me, sure. uh, yeah, Batantis was for... Let me think of Somebody on the trampoline, know. though. Brett knows. Somebody got hurt on a trampoline for you guys. Or somebody. I don't know if it was you or the Yankees. He's a free agent. Forget Batantis. Yeah, he's all right. Yeah, he, I have to. I, yeah. I, I I have to refresh my memory. I'll look it up because I remember this. We signed Batanzas. Uh, he was on the Mets for two seasons, and he got hurt both times very early in the season, and he barely ever pitched, and he was really bad when he was healthy, and then he blew a game against the Yankees. Oh, so uh, in the COVID year, so he that was not ideal. But uh, you know, you guys have been bringing up the Yankees. How are you feeling about? Uh, it was Chopper Chamberlain, Brett. I it was on up. the Yankees. Yeah, yeah, it was on the Yankees. Twenty twelve. Sorry, but. I just remember somebody getting hurt on trampoline. <laughs> How you guys feel about the Yankees heading into this season? Eh. You want to go first, Ellis, or me? Uh, I'll go first. I feel right. eh. I mean, um, I mean, Kenneth Leffel is a good ad for their defense defensively, and he'll 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 hit singles. Um, I think a lot like a lot of their star players regressed last year. I mean, that could just be a year, and if the Yankees are going to do anything, they have to. It's all going to be about the core. Stan Judge, Judge is always great, but Stan Judge. The Mayhew, I'm definitely missing someone. But um, regardless, um, Torres, Torres, thank you. That's what I'm missing. It'll be about that core. Can they rebound from what well, the Mayhew and Torres was especially bad season? Stanton was bad at first, really good at the end, and Judge was ju- is just always great. But uh, Judge is so good. Yeah, I know. But uh, you look at this. I mean, most conferences I think the Yankees have, but you look at this conference, right? And knowing how they played the couple prior last seasons. The Blue Jays are stacked. They're stacked. Yep. They're ridiculous. Yep. Orioles, whatever, laughing stock, as Eddie knows. His only bets he ever wins are against the <laughs> Orioles. Um, um, ooh, um, the Rays, I mean, the Rays look a little vulnerable, but they always look a little vulnerable. They always play really good. Like the, Ra- the Rays are going to be, I'm telling you, this division, except for the Orioles, everyone's going to be good. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the Ra- there's definitely holes on the Rays, but like it's mostly like young pitchers. But the Rays always seem to develop young pitchers well. 
And the Red Sox, again, pitching's a big hole, but this is like, I just I just don't see the in a this division. I don't see the Yankees winning it. I, I think they sneak in the wild card again. Yeah. But I just don't see them winning it. And could they have a magical run? Uh, yeah, but I'm just not that confident, especially with their starting pitching isn't looking like. We'll see with Severino. That's a big X factor for the Yankees. But the starting pitching. Cole is great, and I, I he had a bad game that last um game of the season, which hurt, but he's still great. But uh, the rest is Montgomery's fine. Like I don't know, I'm just I'm feeling very eh about the Yankees. Yeah, well, they beat the Phillies fourteen to two today. Uh, I watched some of that game actually. I watched it during uh, our class, Eddie. That's what I was watching. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I was watching the game, and uh, Marwin Gonzalez, I mean, he's I thought not, you were being studious. Dylan. Oh, no, oh, no. <laughs> I had the laptop open. No, I was watching the game, and Marwin Gonzalez, he's, he's a, I think the Yankees signed him this year on a minor league deal. He has a chance to make the roster, major league roster. Today he went three for three, uh, four RBIs. He had a three-run shot off Aaron Nola in the second. Um, he's one of those guys, you could put him anywhere in the infield, and I think he can play outfield, too. He's one of those guys that might make the team and have an impact off the bench. But looking at some—I just wanted to highlight that because he had such a good game. But looking at the team this year, I, I'm I'm completely comfortable with this lineup. Question is pitching um, because, we you know, we all know Judge uh, and Stanton, barring any injuries. We saw what they did last year. They were phenomenal. And I think Josh Donaldson still has some left in the tank, has the power um, to really hit a lot of home runs this year. And I, I think I think LeMahieu will have a better year. Let's not forget he had a horrible year for his standards last year. Torres did not have a good year at all. And I, I think Torres going back to second base will help out with that a little bit, at least with some of his confidence. Um, and you know, Kiner Falefa, we're not asking for much for him from offensively standing, off, offensively speaking, I should say. Uh, just looking to get some average and some good defense, um, some average hitting, I should say, good a good average hitting. Higashioka, too. He, I mean, he might be the starting catcher this year because that's what it's looking like right now. He had a home run today, so um, he's looking pretty good. But the pitching is where I think the, the focus needs to be um, because the bullpen, the bullpen, I think, is fine. The problem is starting pitching. And I think outside of Garrett Cole, there's a lot of question marks because, yes, when Luis Severino is healthy, he's very he's a good pitcher. He's an all-star type of pitch. Like, he's been an all-star, I think, once or twice in the past whenever he was healthy. Problem is he hasn't been healthy. Montgomery, he's a pretty good average starter. Like, he will give you – like, last year, I remember, he struggled in the first inning of every game, and then from there on, he was fine. As long as he can clean that up, I think he will be fine. Nestor Cortez pitched great last year. Wasn't supposed to be a starter, kind of just found a role there and helped out the team, and he turned out to be very, very effective. I think he'll do the same thing this year. I, I, I think that's the biggest question mark, and I, I think the biggest thing standing in the Yankees' way is just their opponents in the division this year. I think that this team, you know, on a normal year, could win the division. But because the, the, the division is so stacked in what, Tam, uh, in what Toronto did to acquire some players, I... Uh, they they also got Kevin Gosman too. That goes under the radar a little bit. Mm-hmm. They they pretty much shipped off. Uh, also, not to mention they got a Cy Young year out of Robbie Ray. And watch this year he'll have a five four and a half ERA. I'm just letting you know now. They they got kind of lucky with that. So maybe we're giving a little too much credit to Toronto's good year last year because they got kind of lucky. I mean think about it this way: Vladimir Guerrero had an MVP type of season, and he would have won it if 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 only you know if he could pitch, he would have won it. Robbie Ray out of nowhere wins a Cy Young. Bo Bichette has a has a very good like very good year, and they don't make the playoffs. 
Now, I understand Matt Chapman, the addition there, right? And Teoscar Hernandez. And Teoscar Hernandez. But they lose Marcus Simeon, who gave him 40-plus home runs last year, and they still didn't make the playoffs, and they lost the Cy Young winning pitcher. So now you look at that team, and you go, all right, they got a nice little, they got some nice flashy players, right? And they should do better. But it concerns me to think that if Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has a little bit of a, a down year compared to last year, not saying he's going to have 10 home runs, but like say he has 32 instead of 40, 48, right? And then Bichette, maybe he hits 275 instead of 290. Right? They, they all had these great years and really didn't, I mean, it came out of the wire. They, they didn't make anything. And they lost Simeon, who gave him 40-plus homers, had a career year. So now I look at that and I go, are we kind of overhyping Toronto just a little bit because of their on-paper roster? I don't know. I think Toronto has the chance of finishing fourth again. Really. I do. That's a good point. I just... They have what they they have the people on the roster. I they just they lost a couple of good things that no one expected and didn't really do much with it other than win 90 games or close to that and be like okay they got some good stars but if they go down a little bit next year who knows? Yeah, they're in a weird position because they subtracted so many key pieces, but you know they're still considered. A lot of people have them as the favorite. In the American League. Also, you mentioned the Phillies. They have Nick Castellanos. Can't forget about him. His, by the way, his two home runs so far in spring training. The first one came while the Blue Jays announcers were reading the apology because their bench coach had gotten arrested for a DUI situation. <laughs> and then his second home run came on the first pitch he saw after Will Smith slapped Chris Rock. So. Uh, uh, that second one was a bit stretching it. But the first one was hilarious. Yeah. This, this Phillies team actually, I think, I think it's on, they added to their bullpen. Um, this is not a horrible bullpen anymore. It's not great, but it's not horrible. They got that offense is incredible now. The big issue is they've got ground ball pitchers as their starting pitchers, good ground ball pitchers, but they have a horrible defense. Diego Gorse was the worst defender defender in shorts, the defensive shortstop in the MLB last season. Nick Castellanos is a defensive liability as well. So, with what again, that's another stack division. And when you're splitting hairs and stack divisions, defense is an underrated part. As the Yankees would tell you last year. Yeah, and, that, and that's another thing. The Yankees outfield. I mean, if you have Stanton, Judge, and Gallo out there, that's one. Of, that's probably the best out defending outfield in the in the For whole sure. the whole league. For sure, Gallo and Judge are great. And even Stanton, he's underrated. He's got a underrated. cannon for an arm. Yeah, I, I I think it's underrated. But yes, I, defense is very underappreciated. I want to talk a little about the AL West because we got about four minutes left. You know. The Rangers made big moves. They bring in Corey Seager, and they bring in Marcus Simeon. Right. Uh, Oakland now are sellers at this point, but the other four teams are all making moves in their own way. I know the Astros lost Carlos Correa, but they've brought in some young talent. Uh, the Angels, of course, still have Shohei Otani and Mike Trout. Uh, they brought in Noah Syndergaard. I don't know how that's going to fare. but uh, And then <laughs> uh, Seattle, of course, trading for multiple players who were all-stars last year, and Adam Frazier and Jesse Winker. I mean, uh, Dylan, who do you think right now is the favorite in that division? I mean, it, it would have to be Seattle because, I mean, the odds makers would say that because Robbie Ray coming off a Cy Young year. Me, personally, I think he has a down year. But I, I think they have the lineup to do it. And looking around the league, the Angels, yeah, Mike Trout and, and Otani. Otani had a great year. I expect his numbers to go down a little bit. And Mike Trout's been dealing with injuries. And I don't know how, how reliable he is at this point in his career. And don't get me wrong, he's awesome. But he's been kind of an injury. He's been he's been hit with the injury bug. And the Astros still have Altuve, Jordan Alvarez, right? Couple Kyle Tucker. I think it comes down to... The Mariners and the Astros this year. I think the Rangers need a, need more pitching. They need as soon as Jack Leiter comes up, and if he's really if he's the real deal, I think they'll have a chance. But right now, I don't think you can get it done with just Seager and and Simeon, especially and no Gallo now either. 
So I, I don't think there's enough there offensively or pitching-wise for them to get it done. They're they're making the right moves, just not yet. I think it's between Oakland and – or not Oakland. Oakland stinks. They spent no money in free agency. Zero dollars, <laughs> yeah, literally. Yeah. I think Shout out to them for giving us giving the Mets pieces. <laughs> <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's down to the Mariners and the Astros. Brett, how about you? Yeah, I mean, uh, going along with the Angels talk, like you're not going to win with two players in the MLB. You're just not. Like we 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 saw it last year in Trout. I mean, even with Trout in the lineup, they weren't above average. Right. And w- without Trout, they were even worse. And you know, you you, you look at that starting rotation. And who's going to step up for the Angels? It's not going to be Andrew Heaney. No. Oh no. It's, it's oh, not. No. It's not like it's, Andrew it's, Heaney's on the Dodgers now. Isn't uh, he? Oh, he's he's uh, not even there anymore. Uh, uh, like, he was on the Yankees last year. We traded for him. He was horrible. And that's right. And the Dodgers. <laughs> See, I, hey, point he point had being, that one amazing game with the, the Red Sox where he turned into Max Scherzer. I don't care. He game. stinks. <laughs> and the Angels have like they have one guy in the bullpen that I know, and that's Iglesias. Yeah, Rice Iglesias, and I think that's they have Dylan Bundy. Uh, Dylan Bundy. Uh, they must have just. Did they just pick him up or did he play? I think he was there. The, I don't know if he they was, traded him, but he's there. I he was there. Yeah, he signed with them a year or two ago. Rysel Iglesias won me a fantasy baseball championship. I was <laughs> down by one. He got the save on the last day of the season, the last game. He got two points. I won by one. Anyway. <laughs> Shout out, Rysel Iglesias. <laughs> but, yeah, no, you, you you have to have more pieces than that, um, and especially if those two players are in just the offense. You need starting pitching and bullpen, and I think that's why uh, the Mariners and the Astros are up there. They have Robbie Ray, Mar- the Mariners. They have. You think Rendon line. will step up though? Like, well, <laughs> see, he hasn't proven much to me that he can yeah. that he can really step up. He's been there making a lot of money, hasn't done much. Even if he does mm-hmm. step up, I think even if Trout, Otani, and Rendon all have good years, the best their highest ceiling is a wild card spot in the AL because right. look how stacked the AL East is this year. People might have all people might have four teams from that division alone in the playoffs. So that, that leaves you, what, two spots? One? I don't know. So we'll see. I don't, is it even possible to get all four in? Probably not. You need It's only three, right? Because the division winner and the two wild card spots. But they have the expanded playoff. I think there's six teams that get in. I don't know. So, there, so there's a chance. There's then. a okay. chance. Okay. It could be. It would be weird. But we'll see what happens. We're reaching the top of the hour. So that's going to be it today for Tuesday Crew. Thank you to Dylan Allen for joining us here on Hour 2. But till next time, for Ellis Gordon and Brett Hahn, I'm Eddie Kalegi. This was the WRSU Crew on 88.7 WRSU FM New Brunswick and online at wrsu.org. Stay tuned for further programming.